Welcome back to Conversations with Coco and Friends. I'm your host, Coco, aka Katrina Smart. Every episode, I'll be having real conversations with the people who inspire me. We go deep and we go there. And I've got my girls with me. This podcast is co-hosted by two of my friends who I happen to also work with. Cleo is a kick-ass producer and a problem solver. And Pilar is an insane director and social media manager. We hope you enjoy these conversations as much as we enjoy having them. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Have you been thinking about getting into real estate? I did an Instagram post and it seemed like most of you are. So that's kind of a rhetorical question. Making that leap, especially as a woman, can be daunting. This week on Conversations with Coco and Friends, we chat all about all things real estate with the founder of Build Up Devco, Priscilla Facey. Priscilla is not only dominating development in a male-dominated space, there's lots of domination happening in that sentence, She is also creating a path for women of color to see themselves as homeowners and developers and providing guidance to help make the best real estate investments that they can. We are so excited to hear about her journey from humble beginnings and everything she's accomplished. So let's get into it. So Priscilla, I want to talk about how you got into real estate and why real estate, but let's take it back a little bit further. Um, What is your background? Not not racially, <laughs> but in business, <laughs> you know, how, how did we get here? Like there's a Deborah um, Cox song or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Yay, Canadian artists. Um, no, I funny. Yeah. So I started out actually working in government. Um, I worked in human resources for Service Canada. Then I was working for the Immigration and Refugee Board doing human rights investigations. So it was very interesting work to me. But um, as you know, with government, it's kind of a slower pace. They're not used to go, go, go. And I definitely had that fast pacedness um, to me. And I owned a condo at Village by the Grange, which by today's standards wouldn't be considered a nice condo, but it was, you know, <laughs> a place that I lived in. Um, and what's interesting is that I had a leak in my a pipe burst. And so the insurance company ended up giving me a payout It was around $12,000 and I had all these big lavish ideas about what I wanted to fix. Oh my God, I'm going to replace my white appliances. I'm going to get quartz countertops, which was the new thing at the time. And um, a real estate investor agent, mutual friend of mine came by and was like, okay, you should fix what you need to fix, but um, also invest the money in pre-construction condo. Um, And he was working in an area called Queen West, which we know Queen West today, but back then (laughs) it was a little sketch. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, so I, he had a sales package. I bought a a unit and then I took the sales package to my friends and family and sold eight units for him. And he was like, you should get into real estate. And I was like, yay, I'm dying to quit the government. I need something more exciting. I want to own, you know, my time. And uh, yeah, so I I quit. I got my real estate license and uh, just like that. How many years ago did you invest in that first pre-development? That would have been 15, 16 years ago. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so then I I got my license. I focused primarily on pre-construction downtown Toronto. I was making deals with builders and we were throwing these like condos and cocktails parties. And, you know, I was showing people how to pull equity out of their house and buy investment property. I was showing people how to, you know, literally from no money, borrow money into an RSP loan and then use that money to buy pre-construction all within 90 days. Like I had a whole system in place because I didn't have clients who were wealthy. I didn't have clients who came from money. I had clients with bad credit. Mm -hmm. I had clients who were just DJs and bartenders and cash lifestyle and couldn't qualify. 
I then started investing in different properties myself, doing some renovation work, um, some custom stuff in Toronto. And then an opportunity came by to invest in a actual development um, in Niagara Falls. And I got on the bandwagon. Um, you know, I, I hopped along initially with the with the two guys that owned my my real estate brokerage. And from then, I then got my own site and I'm now on, I just closed my third site um, last week and I'm going to be closing in a fourth in the Niagara region. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a fast moving train mm. right now. So can you explain to everybody sort of what's the difference in terms of the hats that you wear? Like, so you, you're using language like real estate developer versus investor versus agent. Yeah. So I stopped transacting real estate. I stopped, I guess, being a real estate agent, although technically I'm licensed still because I, I found that, you know what, when, when you're selling your, every deal that I got to sell a client's house, uh, the project was getting put on hold. And I was like, you know what, I've got to transition. I've got to make a decision here. So I stopped selling for clients um, and just solely do my own buy and sells now and looking for more land opportunities. But when you're, yeah, when you're an agent, you've got your clients and, you know, you get paid on commission. So you've got to be working and grinding. And I found it was best as an agent to focus solely on selling investment real estate. That's what I advise agents who DM me and ask questions about their career um, because you're going to cast the widest net. You're going to, you know, people only buy and sell every three, four years. Mm. That's when you're going to get your commission check. But um, everyone wants to make money. If you can teach people how to make money in real estate, you're going to have clients for life and a constant flow of clients. Um, so that's one piece of advice. Now, in the, on the development side, it's completely different. Um, I do take a marketing buyer approach to it because I know what people are looking for. I know what layouts make sense. I know the best way to get the most out of, you know, a layout design. Um, and I understand that in the GTA, we've got an affordability issue and we've got a housing shortage. And so part of with the designs that I've been working on, which are stacked townhomes, I try to make the most use out of land, of course, in a lucrative way, but also in an affordable way. When you've got smaller layouts and you've got smaller units, these become more affordable for people. And I think my real objective is to really try and get people into real estate investment, having them understand that this is a tried, tested and true path to building wealth. And so I do that now through my development company. Got it. Wow, wow, wow. What would you say is the most challenging part of being a developer? And to add on top of that, a female developer. I'm definitely typically the only female in the room. For sure, especially when you're on a construction site. And how, <laughs> I mean, I can imagine that being intimidating. How do you kind of prep yourself walking into male-dominated spaces? Honestly, I, the type of woman that I am, um, and I guess the circles that I've been in and, and how I grew up, I'm almost like I'm aware that they might change their behavior because of my presence. And it's also not necessary you know, like it's a construction site. This is the like epitome of, you know, um, male dominated profanity, this, that. And I wonder when I show up, if people are adjusting their behavior to me, uh, the amount of times that I hear people, you know, say, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to swear or, Oh, sorry. Or the deer. I love when I get called deer. I'm like, why? <laughs> deer? So unnecessary. <laughs> But, um, but I, I, I think I'm pretty relaxed about it. I want everyone to be comfortable. Yep. And so I, I often, I just, I feel strange if they feel yeah. comfortable around because I'm there. Yeah. It almost creates that like awkward tension. Yeah. Um, for females who are listening, who are interested in getting into the real estate and development market, what would some advice you have for those people? Well, development's a totally a different animal. Um, it's it's high risk. It can be high reward. But as we're seeing in the landscape now in post-pandemic era where, you know, you're seeing developers canceling projects. Um, so it's, it's something that you've got to go in and you have to, one, have strong negotiating skills to be prepared to walk away. You can't overpay for land. That's the starting point because everything starts trickling down from there. Um, and it's it's a space that I'm seeing a lot of people coming into now. Um, I feel like a lot of people from you know the Toronto area are now moving out to Niagara and these sort of smaller secondary markets, and they're really just trying to get their hands in and do development. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people losing their shirts as well, um, where projects that you know looked 
reputable and and looked good um suddenly start not looking not so good as you kind of further get into the the development phase but um if you want to get started in real estate in general and for especially people and young people looking to just get into real estate investment i like to start at buying pre-construction i think it's the easiest access point um you put your deposit down you don't have any work to do per se until the project is ready you rent it out sometimes you can sell it in advance but you really start to that's that's your easiest access point um i find a lot of people again like the clients that i worked with the challenge is one the down payment and now with the pricing the way it is right now not everyone has $200,000 at once to buy and close a property in 60 days so pre-construction is really that gateway to get in um so that's why I advise people to do. So you have a quote on your Instagram that says that financial literacy is not a product of wealth, but wealth is a product of financial literacy. So can you explain that? Everything for me comes down to mindset. Okay, so I grew up in low-income housing with parents who were teenagers when they had me, and I was surrounded by people who had what I call poverty mindset. Um, and so you're you're in an environment where everyone's struggling, Everyone's trying to make ends meet and people are doing whatever little side hustles they can to, you know, rub two nickels together. When you don't see opportunity or see any other way out, like you can't access, you can't visualize. I think I might've heard this on your podcast. You can't <laughs> attain what you can't see or yeah. something like yeah, that. Can't so you can't, you can't see what you can't see. see. Yeah. Yes. And so when all you're seeing is the struggle and this, you know, and my mom used to me constantly and she still says it today. Oh, I can never get ahead. Oh, I can never get ahead. And if that's the story that you're subconsciously being programmed for, that's all that's going to start informing the choices that you make and, and what you think you can do. We need to start teaching people how to manage money, how to manage their credit and how to use that as a tool to build wealth because it takes money to make money. And if you don't feel like you've got anything to work with in the beginning, then how are you going to get anywhere? Um, and so that's, that's what I mean with that statement. Like wealth is a product of financial literacy. When you understand these things, you're like, okay, well, whether it's a business venture you want to get into, whether it's real estate investment, you have to get the basics and the meat and potatoes of it before you can actually get there. How do people get that? Like, I mean, it, we understand that, but I mean, if we're taking it down, taking it back, like how do you break through that, that mindset, that um, scarcity mindset? Mm -hmm. How did you start to break through? So my parents didn't have much money. My mom was on social assistance at various points in her life, but she, I think unintentionally taught me that there's better opportunities out there. Like we still went on nice vacations, even though, you know, she had to really hustle to get the money together to do that. We went to Disney world, but we drove, we didn't fly. Mm. Um, and so I was able to see, you know, she had one friend actually who married a very wealthy man and so lived an abundant life, even though her and my mom kind of started off at the same starting point. And so I was able to see that, okay, there's people in my circle that are living without worrying about money and having, quite frankly, luxury. And I, I guess looking back, I took that and, and that kind of became the underlying narrative to like, there's more, there's better, there's a way to, to get here. When I was working in government, I was surrounded by, quite frankly, people who were just workers. They just worked, they were gonna get their pension and that was gonna be it. And that vibe and that frequency wasn't where I was. And I, I knew enough about that so that I think when the real estate opportunity presented itself, I was like, okay, let's jump on this because these guys are here and they're making money and they're flipping houses. And you know, they're, they're making what I would consider, especially at that time, a substantial amount of money. It doesn't look that difficult if I can just understand the recipe and move forward with it. Yeah. I talk a lot about credit and having bad credit. I learned that lesson really young, not really young, actually, probably a little bit too old. Um, I learned it <laughs> graduating university and realizing that those credit cards they gave us the first week, like four of them, um, <laughs> that, that, you know, you have to pay them off. <laughs> Um, every month, every month you got to pay those. Um, so I had to fix my credit. And it's something that I always tell people that is the most important because being a landlord, I don't rent out my property to people who have bad credit. And I think people don't pay attention to that enough because we live between two worlds. We live between a world where have fun, do whatever you want, like you reward yourself and also 
don't reward yourself because <laughs> if you do, you're screwed, you know? Yeah. So you do a really good job on your Instagram of explaining these tips on financial literacy. I wonder if you could just give us like some tips on, um, on fixing your credit or have it or why you should have anything about credit. Yeah. So the starting point for me and I've seen, I've had a, I had a client once years ago who um, had amazing credit his entire life. And then someone made a duplicate of some Home Depot card. And then um, his credit was in the toilet for three, four years. Like they, st- like they stole his yeah, identity. $70,000 and <gasps> built a deck and bought deck materials. And he's like, I live in a condo downtown. I don't know anything about this. And it took so long to unwind it. Um, he couldn't close a property in the meantime. So that was in jeopardy. He had to get a, it was a whole situation. So the starting point for me is pull your Equifax uh, and TransUnion credit report. Um, look at it, understand the score. They give you a little summary there, but there are um, anything you can find online now in terms of understanding your score. Um, and Equifax does a really good job of teaching you why your score is the number that it is. So if you're anything below 750, you've probably got some places to improve there. Um, you know, 900 is the Mecca. <laughs> I know one person who's ever had a score that high. Um, but um, just understanding your score, they you, they have an option to pay twenty ninety five a month um, where you can get uh, a monthly, you can pull your score as often as possible at no charge. I subscribe to that, obviously for that and TransUnion. And no impact on your credit? like No impact on okay. your credit. And every time someone makes an inquiry or there's a change to your score, they send you an email. Got it. So, so that's on changed. top of it. So yeah. everybody knows because everybody used to be scared to pull their credit yeah. right. because before it would be like, if you pull, the more you pull it, yeah. the more you're, it's going to affect yeah. your credit score, which was so backwards. But Literally, now they found a way to make money from it. There's so so, there's $20 a month. There's so, so much fucked up. It's so, so fucked up. Yeah. And it's, um, they, yeah, they're soft inquiries and yeah. hard inquiries. Listen, and so the, these are CIBC soft, loves yes. that. They're like, it's a soft inquiry. And I'm like, so does it fuck with me? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, if you do it more than this, I'm like, mm, so yes. I know. Yeah. <laughs> a lot it of gets worse area. on the commercial side. You want to open um, different commercial accounts. And every time you open a new account, for example, my real estate projects, every project I open a separate account, but then they want to pull my credit every time. And I'm like, guys, yeah. we can't do that. Seriously. <laughs> You're like, don't worry. I paid twenty ninety five. Here's both my reports <laughs> yeah. every Here, month. Let me pull this <laughs> And that's another thing is that if there's opportunities for things like when, like if you're, we're going to rent an apartment and your landlord wants your score. Well, if he pulls your score, it can be a hit. But if you pull the yeah. report and give it to him, mm. then, then it's not a hit. So little things like that, but credit is so important. Um, so once you know and understand your score, if you've got to work to repair it, there's different ways and the report gives you those options. But a good thing is have at least three trades. So have, you know, two credit cards and a, maybe it's a car payment or whatever you have, but you should have at least three things reporting in every month. Whenever possible, at every opportunity, if they let you increase your limit, go for it, but always use less than 33% of your, um, don't ever get maxed. Mm -hmm. Um, If you do have to do a large transaction that's gonna get you at your max, pay it before the bill cycle because you don't ever want the bureau reporting that your score is more than 30%, more than um, the limit, because that's what's going to start to bring your score down over time. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's the more you know, ladies and gentlemen. I think I lived for a while in a place where it's like, don't ask, don't tell. Let me tell you guys, like, it doesn't don't look work. At it. <laughs> it doesn't work. You got to go back and fix it anyways. So yeah. it's going to catch up to you at some point. So it's just like, as Priscilla said, invest in finding out all of the information, financial information, so that you're ahead of the curve always. Ooh. 
Yeah. So what would you say, what are some of like the top mistakes people make when it comes to real estate? Or maybe even like thinking that location doesn't matter. Oh, mm. location's everything. Some people came to me, they bought a property in Calgary. Builder was offering all these incentives, et cetera. Um, and I think in three years, they're up like 30 grand. And it was attractive to them because they're like, oh, I can get a two bedroom condo for 350,000. Okay. But first of all, what are the vacancy rates over there? What's the rate of appreciation? All these things matter. Like are people immigrating there? What's happening? You know, um, cause all of that's going to impact your value. And the challenge is that if they would have, you know, what I advise them to do, buy something just outside of Toronto area. And if they had done that, they would have been up dramatically, you know, appreciation in certain areas are it's a hundred percent in the last few years. So, um, it's, it's, it's getting pretty crazy, but the biggest mistake I see is people just buying where they think they can afford. And it would have been better to partner up with someone and buy in a better area than to go alone and buy in a place that's just kind of stagnant. How can people get access to finding out these trends and the new information? Because I feel like real estate is changing so quickly that people don't actually know what they don't know, right? Like, are there any resources that you turn to or that you advise people to turn to? I think what's really important, especially if if this is not your wheelhouse, is real estate, it's not your lane, right? You wanna go, okay, how am I supposed to get this information? There is information on, you know, different real estate board websites and that, but even for someone, again, who's pretty green to it, that can sort of look very convoluted and what are these tables and charts? I think the safest way is to, have a, a realtor that you trust who focuses on investment real estate. That ha- was critical in my client's education when I was selling um, over the years. And this, they should live and breathe real estate investment. And those types of agents are always looking at opportunities, um, looking at kind of where the next, um, where the trends are, where migration trends are going. People, you know, Canada is a country that is a wide open for immigration. I think Trudeau said recently that he's bringing in triple the number of immigrants over the next five years. We've got people coming here. Um, we've got refugees coming here. We have a housing shortage. So my first question is always, where are these people going to live? Why does government make it so difficult to get density to build? Um, Amen. <laughs> I swear, everybody will look at Toronto and they'll be like, there's so many condos. It's gonna. It's a bubble. And I'm like, bro, there's not enough. Like, yeah. you, if you, if you so read exactly what Priscilla is saying, if you knew any of the statistics and understood how many people are coming into Ontario a a year and you did the numbers. And if you also took into consideration how many countries in the world people come from where they are not allowed to own real estate, they're not allowed. So they come here and they're like, what, I can own this? And and then all the old, older Canadian people are like, that's just far too expensive. (laughs) And people are like, I I have an opportunity. If you you come from the UK, Mm -hmm. real estate here is cheap. Like there's so many Mm. countries where this, this is on sale and (laughs) (laughs) discounted. (laughs) Like, um, so the stat that I read pretty recently was 46% of immigrants to Canada come to Southern Ontario. Mm-hmm. So that like, yes. this is our small dot on the huge yeah. Canadian map. Mm-hmm. And almost half of the people who come here. So where are they going to live? And this is literally always the question. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a part of different groups and Facebook and this and that. And it's always like, okay, we've got, you know, eight refugee families coming. Does anyone have a basement apartment? Does anyone have like that? They're building houses in laneways now. Like, come on, like this is the message um, and why we can't get more density, especially in these smaller cities outside of Toronto is very baffling to me. Why they Th- make sorry, it Sorry, so does difficult? that mean that like the government is not allowing developers to, to make more units in smaller places? Exactly. So if let's say you've got a one acre parcel, well, we're going to zone that for 12 houses, but why don't we zone it for like 500 condos, stacked towns yes. or a condo? Like we need more housing. So all the red tape and just the whole process of getting approvals, um, I think can be tightened up and a lot more streamlined so that it is conducive to the result we want, which is more housing. And if we have more housing, I, I believe it can be more affordable because like law of economics, supply and demand, we have too much demand, not enough supply. This is why, you know, we've got people coming like, hello, like this is, you know, we should be screaming loud about this. And unfortunately we live in a, in, in a place where it's, it's actually anti-development like, yeah. and, and it's a very strange Thing that's happening because it's it's counterintuitive if we slow down development it'll somehow magically make it more affordable for people to buy a place but the reality is is supply and demand if we don't have enough places for people to buy 
then it's just going to, then people or live. Yeah. Like the 400, 400 square foot apartments where people are like, I can't believe how expensive it is. It's like, <laughs> it's that expensive because of these rules. Yeah. And it's sad. It, it is. I mean, even if you look at, like we were just saying, when you move to Canada and, and, and Priscilla said, everybody's coming to Southern Ontario. When I, we moved here from Jamaica, we were in Halifax. My parents were like, Fuck that. Like, <laughs> no shade to Halifax, but they're like, Immediately when no. can we get to Toronto as soon as possible? You and know? that's it. It's like there's Toronto and then there's everywhere yeah. else. So I feel yeah. like Montreal gets a close second. Mm-hmm. But it's so interesting, like now, especially coming from Alberta, like having these conversations now that I know what I know about real estate and having these conversations with other people, because everyone's like, exactly what you said. They're like, oh, Toronto. They think like, we're the center of the universe. And we are. <laughs> uh, we are definitely are in Canada. But they're like, look what I can get in Edmonton for $300,000. I'm like, they're like, you paid this much for your new development? I'm like, baby, please understand yeah. that the amount of money I made that I'm making on my condo that's not going to be ready for two and a half more years, I have made more money in that one 333 square foot condo yeah. than you ever will on your 5,000 yeah. square foot home yeah. in Edmonton, Alberta. And that's what you don't understand. And I will continue to make money off of that. But because everybody only looks at it like, oh, it's space, it's this, it's that. They're like, you pay $1,600 a month for rent on your apartment in Toronto. I'm like, that's cheap. But, yes, that is um, actually a good price day. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I paid that in university. Girl, and we're like, <laughs> With you a roommate. Bunk bed. It's so big, right? Oh, like, oh, just under is... 800 square feet. I got it at the bottom of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> like, Smart. right where the COVID Smart. rent, like, had yeah. dipped Everybody's out. like, I'm going to move to Pefferlaw. And now they're like, I hate Pefferlaw. <laughs> Where is like, that? I, have no idea, I don't know. We just made it up. It's north somewhere. No, it's you in know? a real place. Yeah, it is. Oh my! No, it is for real. Yeah. It sounds. Yeah, it's, it sounds it's like Petawawa. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, That's another. Sounds one. like Petawawa too. <laughs> no, sh- no shade to the names. <laughs> no, but, no shade, guys. Um, I yeah, I think it's it's also looking at. So I, you would say read right, read the paper. The problem with the paper is that what I find in Canadian media, it's very anti-development. Oh, my God. So if you read about it, they're only publishing, oh, my God, this happened. You know, you have to do due diligence. Get, as Priscilla said, a really great agent that's in focus on investment, not mm-hmm. focus on getting you a $5 million home yes. in Richmond Hill. Different like, types of agents. You know, very, yeah. very different. Yeah. yeah. And then look, look at things like... Oh, if Google announces that they're opening an office in downtown Toronto, mm. if there's we're if they're dubbing us or just outside of um, Toronto in Windsor or oh, what's it called? Waterloo. Waterloo. Yeah. This is a sec- mm-hmm. Silicon Valley too. Like mm-hmm. those kind of things are bringing big businesses, bringing mm-hmm. bodies here. That means another shortage in, in places to stay, right? Yeah, and and a lot of foreigners invest, and the government's trying to curtail that. And quite frankly, I think they have it wrong. Yes. Um, as you said, like, <laughs> the media focuses on um, you know victimization, and and I suppose that's their job to sensationalize things and keep people afraid and paranoid. They really, do. Um, and I afraid try and paranoid. Afraid yeah. and paranoid. That's it. Like, and whenever I see an article, like the Toronto Star put out something recently that was saying, like, you know, oh, housing is unaffordable, and like now people are never going to own. And I'm like, I think the way we think about ownership has changed. Yes, you're not going to like go to university, get married and then go buy a house down down the street. Probably not. But let's think about ownership in a different way. Let's think about it as an investment opportunity Um, like Clio. You're renting, but you own Mm -hmm. you. You bought a property, but just not the one you live in. Why do we have this mentality around? Oh, you have to own the house you live in. It's fine. Mm -hmm. But buy where you can afford to get in the market. And so if you want to sit and lament and cry that I can't buy a house downtown Toronto where I plan to live my whole life, that's fine. But you're missing out on all these other opportunities where people are, you know, like I'm, most of my developments are focused in Niagara Falls. And what we're seeing is this migration trend of people in Niagara Falls are now moving out to smaller cities and people from GTA are going to Niagara Falls. And where's the GO train going? Like where's transit going? Like you've got to look at all of these like infrastructural things because that's also what's going to tell you where people are going to migrate to. Mm-hmm. So these things are really critical. This is um, how other people can inform where where they want to buy. So maybe don't buy in Pentatanguishine, but maybe buy in <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, if you look at something like Los Angeles it's a, or Manhattan, both really good examples. Yeah, okay, everybody wants to live in 90210. Maybe not so much anymore because of all the robberies, but <laughs> they, like everybody wants to live central. Most of the people I know who 
who live out there and don't do poorly for themselves, they live in Encino. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, that is a, on a good day, a 35, 45 minute drive into West okay, Holly, okay, right? Okay. So, but they're very wealthy people. We're just so spoiled <laughs> in yep. believing that we should have everything. And that's not the reality. All, all my friends in New York live in Brooklyn, Queens. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. they don't live in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And our problem, I think, in Toronto, and I'll stop complaining, um, <laughs> is we just screwed ourselves on transit. Like, yeah, we could have done yeah. a way better job. We have one line. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> well, I think, I think now, like 30 years later, we have like a second or a third going. In. I mean, listen, yeah, I mean, just one loop downtown. Yeah, we, we've yeah. got the loop and then the, this the crossover. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like yeah. three. Yeah. 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 But, yeah. And the crazy part is you guys having lived in like three major cities in this country, our transit system here is spectacular compared wow. to other like, wow. like TTC. Yeah. When I came here, I was like, bitch, this shit yeah. is good. I'm good. <laughs> and then you go good. to London and yeah. you're like, Oh, and now I'm like 7,000 no, no. lines. You go to New York. <laughs> I and know. Even the people in New York don't know how to get. Yeah, exactly. They haven't even been on all the lines. So mm-hmm. um, I agree. Transit's a huge, is a huge thing. But I think just typically it's, it's more about shifting the mindset mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. real estate as ownership. And it doesn't have to be your own home. Um, this oh, is I an opportunity that. to build wealth. And I look around and I've got, you know, people financially who are on, you know, this level. And I've got people who are on, on a, a much higher level and, for the most part, like I'd say 90% of them are um, own multiple properties and have um, significant amount of real estate investment. And if anyone calculates their net worth, which is something that I advocate for and recommend every year, I do it probably three times a year. <laughs> but, um, but if you look at your net worth and if you own property, you're going to see that the, the mass chunk of what your net worth is, is from real estate. And it's just, this is it. So stop crying and get investing. <laughs> Let them know, Priscilla. No, we'd love a tangent. I wish I'd been to LA as much as you guys have so I can like relate. I'm like, Encino, I think that's where the Jackson 5 lives. It's like the valley. It's the valley. It's what everybody made fun of in all yeah. those movies. Okay, but now everybody the lives there. Okay, like got the it. other side of the yeah. Hollywood. But like, okay. really nice. Yeah. Really like, nice. So nice. Yeah. So I know we mentioned this a little bit earlier, you being like one of the only women in development, basically, I don't even know across Canada, but what does it mean for you to be a black woman in the real estate space? Um, And are there any challenges? And then conversely, like really great milestones that you've experienced? (laughs) I know this is, I I know this is a hot topic and I don't think I, I realized its significance until I think I started talking and having any level of a presence on social media um, and doing sort of like podcast shows Mm -hmm. and et cetera. Until I started getting, you know, DMs from young black women, uh, girls, quite frankly, who are like, oh, my God, you're doing development. I can't believe this. And so that's when I'm like, "Okay, I think it's maybe it is a big deal to some. I mean, for me, I'm just I'm always trying to get somewhere. And I feel like I've got this like dangling carrot that just, you know, I keep moving the goalposts. And I understand and recognize the significance. I get it now um, that representation does matter, um, that, you know, for some of these young women and men, they this symbolizes something for them. And I'm happy for that. And I, I think it's really solidified for me. Uh, I was thinking the other day just kind of like about what my values are. And, you know, I do a lot of personal development and courses and I did the Landmark Forum and now I'm doing another transformational coaching program. And I'm often taught to think about what my values are and what I'm committed to, because that's what drives my decisions, whether I consciously aware of it or not. And so I understand now that like service to others is a high value for me. Um, It's something that I've the last couple of, I would say months have even become more committed to is how can I help people? Um, And just through education really. Um, And so that I think being, you know, a woman of color, in this space has definitely helped to really solidify for me that like this is helping me serve other people by just existing and being visual Mm -hmm. being Mm -hmm. there um you know so uh i mean i come from a diverse racial background my mom is like fourth generation white canadian Mm -hmm. (laughs) same same you know (laughs) my dad came from jamaica when he was seven so he has no jamaican accent which is i think very unfortunate but uh, (laughs) Oh my grandmother does. So, you know, but he always taught me that like you're female and you're black. So things are always going to be hard. We're, we're working poor. That's what we are. And I was always kind of like, that's not true. Like along with half the other stuff he would tell me, I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't believe that, you know? And, um, he still has that mindset. And this is where I go back to like mindset is everything. And I think even if my 
my dad had a million dollars in the bank, which I would tell him not to keep it in the bank, but <laughs> um, he would still have that poor yeah. poverty mindset. Like it's just, it's pervasive. It's like starts penetrating your DNA. And this is where I think I struggle because like I have kids and I'm like, well, I think there's a mentality that like the struggle is what kind of makes people successful later. And we're seeing all these people coming up now that are ultra successful who are like dirt poor growing up. And I'm like, well, I don't want to struggle. I want to live in a nice house, but like, I want my kids to like learn, yeah. you know, still learn the value. Yeah. And like, you yeah. must deal yeah. with that too. Oh, it's like, yeah. how do you teach that when yeah. like they're surrounded by, you know, we've got a house with a worry. pool and mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. vacation, and, you know? So, um, I think that's where I'm kind of turning my mind to. Um, and so fortunately, unfortunately, the other half of their family is very poor. Uh, my husband's family's from Cuba. And so we go down there and I'm like, okay, this is where I'm really gonna, you know, give it to them. <laughs> and they're going to yeah. see, mm-hmm. you know, that like where we are and we're, we're blessed and we're fortunate here. Um, and I think you mentioned this on an episode, just by being born here, this yes. is like an automatic blessing. You're lucky. Yeah. yeah. It, and we didn't do anything to deserve this. Mm-hmm. Just a dice roll. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, and that's, and that's just it. And going back to the real estate space, like people don't realize the opportunity we've had. If you own here and you have access to real estate and property in the Toronto area, even in Canada in general, like this is a blessing. Like people in Manhattan are not really, you know, they're probably on the same average income level that we are here, except those properties are like 10 X what we're doing here. So it's just like, understanding what this is stop complaining the mindset change your mindset don't look at i can't get in it's how can i okay maybe not toronto proper i can go up to bowmanville or whatever Mm -hmm. you know but like you can there's places within an hour's drive that are still booming and coming up and there's opportunities there and you know if you're just complaining about it you're gonna miss the boat i think it's so hard for some people when they're in that mindset it's so consuming to always think negatively and like Oh, you're so lucky. Yeah. Like, yeah. Why must why be not? nice. Yeah. Must mm. be nice. Why not me? Why yeah. can't I? Yeah. How, what would you say to those people who are just so in flooded with these negative thoughts of, I don't think I can do that. There's people who have done it and who are doing it, who were where you are now. Mm-hmm. So look at them, look at those people and follow those steps. Yeah. Don't look at the people who are probably like you sitting around complaining about it. Like you've got to look at the how it's not, why can't I, it's how can I? And I think that is so important um, in terms of people tend to surround themselves with people who believe kind of what they, they just kind of look to confirm their beliefs. And this could be with anything like girls got a problem with their boyfriend. She calls up one friend, her friend's like, no, yeah, he's an asshole. And she calls up the other friend. Yeah. He's <laughs> yeah, an yeah. Asshole. yeah. And the friend who's like, no, actually you're the problem. I'm not listening to you. Bye. Like, yeah. <laughs> confirmation bias yeah exactly so like look at the people that are doing it and follow that example you know like i i had people and mentors that were doing that were where i wanted to be and i was like okay what steps did they take this is not that difficult i can do this let me follow through, you know, and I think it's the execution. I'm a master executionist. I don't come up with the greatest ideas. Mm. Um, so I, <laughs> I often look to other people for ideas, but when there's a great idea, um, I, I can put steps in place and just go to it. I think that's, that's something that people need to um, really focus on is what are the steps? What, wait, wait, now. Now we got to give them the steps. Yeah, buddy. Lay it out. We got to lay out the step. Step one: check your credit score. Check your credit score and fix your credit score. Yeah. And it's 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 fixable. It's repairable. I had bad credit for a couple of years. I had bad credit. I had a collection agent calling for I didn't pay off my student loan on time, and you know, so um, I've been there. Um, and it took some time, but um, you know, a couple of years of making payments on time, even the stuff that's still on your bureau, it becomes less meaningful. Um, as time passes. So, and then I think it's the magic is six years and then it's completely wiped off and you are a new slate, fresh and clean. But in the meantime, you can still invest in real estate because if you buy pre-construction, you don't, your credit isn't as relevant to your credit score today. It's relevant at the time that you close the property. So if you buy something, it's not gonna be built for three years. Well, you've got three years to get your credit in place. Um, and that's typically enough time to at least get a B lender. So you can, I'm sorry, B lender is a, you know, not your typical five big banks, but maybe another bank that's got slightly higher interest rate, but we'll still do the deal. Um, and so that I think is really important. You can fix your credit while simultaneously investing in real estate and you're going to make money because by the time the property is ready, 
99% of cases, you're up 20, 30, 100 grand, 200 grand. I've seen it all across the board. So lately we've been talking a lot about pinch me moments. That's this moment where you can't believe you're in a situation. A lot of us don't stop to enjoy that moment because we're already on to the next thing. We've achieved that goal and now we're, we've already started working on the next one. But I'm always interested to know what was your latest pinch me moment. Okay, so I I spoke a little bit about the struggles growing up, um, a lot of emotional struggles. Um, living in government housing, it's hard not to. Um, and so I've often said that, you know, like when I have a family, I'm not going to have that struggle and that emotional trauma that comes with it. And I had a moment, um, we were on vacation in December in Costa Rica, and my the sun was setting, we were on the beach, and the kids were playing in the ocean, and I looked at them and I was like, they have the life that I always wanted. They have the childhood that I always wanted. Security, love, family. Um, and so that was definitely a pinch me moment and where I was like, I actually created this. Like I made choices and took steps and like, this is the outcome that I have right now. And it was a really almost like inner child moment that I had with myself. So um yeah, that's what master executionist nice. like yeah. that. Beautiful. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. There it is. That's about it on our end, Priscilla. But why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can find you on social and all that good stuff? I am at Priscilla Facey on Instagram. <laughs> I feel like the rest of social gets ignored. I mean, I've got goals, you know, I want to be on YouTube and I want to, um, you know, do some some courses maybe to help people teach, that's what's teach next for things. Priscilla oh, yeah. yes, and I think yeah. you should I think what I get feedback on a lot is people want to know how mm-hmm. and I think although the information's all out there being spoken to by someone that looks like them mm-hmm. or some or even it doesn't even have to be a person of color just the fact that you're a female yeah you know to tell these these stories and explain to people step by step there's going to be a, yeah. a huge amount of, of women and girls who are writing those steps down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's everything starts with mindset. And I think that if you can just look to people that have a positive outlook that have a, you know, how can I mentality, that's going to be your entry point into whatever it is you want, whatever industry you're in, whatever. Um, so that's what I think is, is the most important. Um, I actually have a question for you. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so obviously I feel like so much of your life is, is an open storytelling book. Mm -hmm. Now you grew up not, not poor. No. Um, so how did you shift? What was your mindset around like real estate investing and how did that, did you grow up around that? And did you, or did you? No, I think I had a more of a negative, um, view of real estate, not, not because of, um, not because like I didn't come from middle-class background or anything, but my parents lost money on real estate. So my dad is an oral surgeon, opened a practice in Newmarket because, and smart because it was kids. I mean, sorry, it was lots of uh, developing kind of like suburb of Toronto, lots of kids. He pulled wisdom teeth out all day long. Right. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So it was good for him, but uh, he bought this fixer upper him and my mom, mom was a teacher and they bought this fixer upper and it was like that movie, the money pit. Like literally every turn, something was going wrong. Okay. So they also bought an investment property in downtown Toronto, mm-hmm. but in a way that like my, not now where you can buy a condo and it's pretty much taken care of by the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad and my brother were down there mowing the lawn on oh, weekends. No. It's, like a little du- it's, like, it's, like, yeah. it's like a very bad deal. Another money pit. Yeah, exactly. Another money pit. So we're very good at the money pits. No shade to my parents. They're great. But you know, it wasn't as informed as it could be. Yeah. So I think I, I had some fear around it. I mean, two things happened. I started bartending and the two bartenders that taught me how to bartend both own their own homes in Mississauga. Okay. And they did that by saving their tips. And I would I worked at Mendocino and went to school <laughs> and worked at Bank of Montreal. Um, so I, again, a Jamaican with all the jobs and, um, but I would show up to bartend in my like Mendocino pleather full outfit and they'd be like, <laughs> Did you spend the money you made here to go spend it at Mendocino? Where you also work. Where you also work. I don't care what the discount is. They didn't give it to you for free. You are horrendous. She's fueling her establishment. Seriously. 
like they're they're wearing like plastic outfits that they bought from this woman who would come around in with garbage bags and sell us all these outfits that you threw in the into the washing machine and and they'd be like stop spending your money to look fabulous here yeah, yeah. you know and they that's where it started and they they said you need to stop doing this and you need to start saving your money and then I'm person who would end up being my husband was also I, I met him a little bit later and he was also shocked at the amount of <laughs> money <old. laughs> that I was making I would make a thousand dollars a night cash yeah, yeah. and he's like he, he just got to the point where he was like put a thousand dollars a week away because I worked five nights a week mm-hmm. and wow. he's like that should be your bare minimum and I, I got to thirty thousand dollars and I bought my first pre-construction and he's, he, and he's a GQ outfit kind of guy so <laughs> oh, yeah but he, he was like, stop, <laughs> he's like that's stop enough with the fashion yeah um, and that's the thing and that's the second piece too is that like it's one thing to have good credit and to make good money but it's what you do with the money yes. the investment piece is what's going to get you yeah. to the you know to that pinnacle it's not just saving and hoarding money and no. just keeping in the bank and TFSAs and RSPs and what all of these things that I think are pure scams yeah. <laughs> um, so that the government can take your money and they're going to invest it and they're going to buy buildings and land yep. and all this stuff. So why aren't we can do that on a smaller scale and yeah. we should be, but we just don't, we yeah. don't know. And, and my, I, that's actually something that comes up a lot. I'm reticent to talk about any of my investment stuff because anytime I do, it comes back to, Oh, you were married to someone mm-hmm. this condo, whatever. And fair. That's actually a fair thing to say. Um, but my before I would just shy away from sharing the information. But but now after like living lots of life from that, um, I've learned that. And I said this to the person who recently said this to me. I said, yeah, but the problem is, is, is I could be shy away from sharing my story and my information that I learned from this person who is one of the biggest real estate developers in our country. I could not share that information with you. And that means that nothing's going to change for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it doesn't impact your life. Yes. So what I'm, I'm starting to see now, and like you said about it's it within, especially within um, minority communities, I'm going to put my hand up for the black community. The sharing of information is not enough Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. we live in a world where it's like, there can only be one. And that's not true. Just because there's one success story in our group doesn't mean there can't be 50. Yeah. And so I'm very, very like, um, it's very important to me that we get out of this mindset and we start to tell the stories of people who have been successful yeah. and not all of the ones, like you said, your grandfather, like we're working poor. Like it's yeah. my, my family would be like, we don't want anybody to look at us. Like, you know, and, stop and telling people your information. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. very Caribbean too. Yes, like yes. you don't tell your nobody. Yes. You don't, yeah. Nobody can know what you have. Yes. And like, but it's like, but why? Like if people see that I have nice things, it, it the next thought should be, well, I can have this. Yes. You have yes. security. I can have security. Yes. Not like I'm just going to hoard it and keep it in a yes. box. Or, or what does she think she is? Yeah. You know, that but, kind yeah. of a, a yeah. attitude. But now you're doing things and just like shout out to both of you. But the person Coco was talking about who had done this on social, like, now she taught that person not to make the assumption because when they came at her in like this, like very like, well, you were married to someone like this. And when she responded like literally with love where she's like, yeah, well, cool, true. But also here's X, Y, and Z. Then that person switched their whole tune. Mm -hmm. And so we get the opportunity to help people change their tunes Mm -hmm. about stuff Mm -hmm. when you don't like, need yeah. her because i'm i'm yeah. petty and i'm like light that bitch up light them up <laughs> fuck them but now we're like that's okay, we're, clear. we're being yeah. graceful yeah and i can <laughs> and i can say now i've got it behind me where it's like every single one of my friends close friends own own a condo mm-hmm. and i did that so okay yeah i was married to rich a rich guy mm-hmm. sure but i mean that can define part of my life but that doesn't mean that i'm not taking the knowledge that i didn't just sit there and chill with the bonbons and be yeah. like, buy me another pair of shoes, baby. Like, no. <laughs> I was like, what are we doing? Never. How do we do yeah, this? Yeah. You know? You're like, I'm moving on to my sixth job. I'll be right back. <laughs> In my pleather outfit. But no, you took the knowledge that this person yeah. gave you and, and then that's, you, and you gave that to other people. Exactly. Yeah. And yeah. helped other people get rich. So you're welcome. World. And that's what we need to and do more. Yeah. yeah that and, needs to become contagious. And that's where even like my parents, like my dad's like, you know, now in his fourth investment mm. and still like, feels uncomfortable and talks to me yeah. about like, oh, now we got to go through the mortgage again. Yeah. I'm like, yes, yeah. yes. All of that is why you made $600,000 yes. in the last few years. Like, why are we having a conversation? Yep. Um, but, um, but it's because he's still, you know, holding on to that idea that like, this isn't for him and that maybe it's a self-worth thing and like, you're not entitled to have this yes. and to be, be secure. 
um, because all you know is struggle. And I think that goes with so many immigrant right. families that come here, mm-hmm. but like all you know is struggle and it's like hard to let go of that, but um, it doesn't have to be that way. And now that we've figured out, you know, the recipe, let's like mm-hmm. bake the cake. There it is. Oh, I They're like baking that. those condo cakes. <laughs> <laughs> Stack condos and nine like cakes. That's amazing. So I'm going to say one more time, Priscilla, we can find you on Instagram. Instagram at Priscilla Facey, P-R-I-S-C-I-L-L-A and face with a Y. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> we'll link all of your information yeah. in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. We'd love to have you back one yes. day. Yes. Co's, you know what to do. Rate this podcast five stars on Apple and don't forget to follow us on Spotify. You can continue keeping up with our adventure on the gram at Coco and Co. That's C-O-W-E. Now go tell your friends about it. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit Juvederm.com.